share with you a word that I hope, if you have your Bible with you, or um, even your phone, that you would um, turn with me, because I'm going to do a whole chapter out of Isaiah, chapter 28. It's um, a word that I'm um, trying to get um, grips on myself, and um, I'm hoping to, to take you through a journey that God is taking us as a church to, or through. Um, Carlos mentioned it today, or this morning, we, um, we are going to speak about the plumb line for the rest of the year, um, and we want to get to the point where we can really figure out what God is saying to us um, as a body here in the UK, um, and it's very blessed to, to delve into the Word of God. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 28, verse 1. Now, before I read it, I just want to give some, some history on this chapter. Now, Isaiah the prophet was um, one that was not always loved. He was um, really a doomed prophet in um, always focusing on repentance and, um, and bringing people back to the humble beginnings of recognizing that we are nothing and God is everything. <laughs> and what a good place that is uh, um, to be at. And, um, but Isaiah, through, through a, a few chapters, um, six chapters actually from chapter 28, um, brings a word that we call the six woes um, chapters. Um, of which he then, for you, those of you that don't know, this is not the kind of whoa that you hear these days. Um, whoa, that is cool. Or whoa, that is amazing. Whoa, if the prophet said whoa, then it's actually a, a very strong warning towards something that is coming. Okay, And as you know, Isaiah was not one of those prophets that actually got it wrong. Um, through his um, uh, um, reign as prophet or his um, time as prophet. Uh, He was really a prophet that got a lot of things right, and I do believe that a lot of the words are very relevant to us today. And um, I really believe that there's things that God reveals through his word, um, and he's still revealing to, to the prophets to us today. And Isaiah chapter 28 is one of those chapters for Israel, at a time when they were divided. Now, this is a time when, for those of you that don't know, there was basically two camps or two um, reigns in um, the time of Israel, the southern tribes and the northern tribes. The northern tribes was ten tribes of Israel that at this stage lived in the northern part of what we know as Israel. Okay, um, These ten tribes was also the tribes that had a capital city of Samaria as the focus point of their nation. Now, there's lots of reasons, and I'm not going to go into that today, why they were divided and how they were divided. But one thing that we do know is this reign in the northern part. Now, maybe I should just mention the southern part, which was Judah, was the two tribes. Okay, now a lot believe that at least the two tribes stayed um, focused on God for, for very long. And, um, and we, we know that the northern tribes at this stage, especially it was about 722 before Christ, um, they were unfaithful to God. There was a lot of sin in the camp. And um, even in the 900s before Christ, Jerobeam, which was the king at that stage, um, was a king that defiled himself through ungodly things. You know, sin and um, even serving other gods and raising up pillars and, and altars to, um, to serve other gods in the nation in the northern part. Now, the reason for that was also because of his fear that the northern tribes would walk over to the southern tribes. <laughs> because at this stage, they were very confronted by the fact that the northern tribes because of the sin and the idolatry and even the, the evil worship that they were busy participating in, there was pressure on this king to do more filthy things. Okay? So there was even some centers of um, golden calves that was raised up at this time in the northern part of um, Israel, uh, especially in the, the hills of Samaria, 
um, where these golden calves would be worshipped. And this king Jerobeam always wanted to please the people. And he couldn't get to a place of actually submitting himself under the law of God. And coming to a place where he could actually bring this nation back onto track. Now in the southern part, um, these uh, two um, tribes then, that um, was also not on track, but at least at a place where they um, committed themselves to, to still stay pure, um, which was called Judah. This message in chapter 28 was also to them. And I want to say to you, in chapter 28, it speaks to the northern tribes, which at this stage is on the verge of being destroyed and on the verge of being taken to um, Assyria. Um, But also then, the word goes out to the southern tribes to say, listen, if you are not going to get your house in order, the same is going to happen. And so within that perspective, I want to say to you, this is where Isaiah now is speaking to the leaders and to the people of Israel. Now, Ephraim was also um, a word that was used for Israel, uh, the northern tribes, the northern part. So if it says in chapter 28, Ephraim, it speaks of Israel. It speaks of the northern tribes. Okay, so let's um, delve into the word. Isaiah chapter 28. Oh, now this is, um, this is the ESV uh, translation. But in the other translations you would see, Woe, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim, or Israel. And the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley of those overcome with wine. Behold the Lord as one who is mighty and strong, like a storm of hail, a destroying tempest, like a storm of mighty, overflowing waters. He cast down the earth with his hand. So, these book of woes then start with a place where God is first of all through the, the um, prophet Isaiah saying, Woe, be warned that I'm introducing myself now as not the loving God, not the one that actually wants to uh, you know, uh, comfort you. I'm the God that wants to come against you. And I'm going to come against you and he's going to explain how. But God himself shows himself through power. And he's saying that you are a rebellious nation. You are a nation that is not just committing sin at the time. You're a nation that's not just falling in a moral decay. But you are actually not focused on the things that's most important that I'm leading you into. And this is a place where God says, you are out of the way. You are not in the place where I want you to be. Isaiah chapter 28 verse 3. We're going to read the whole chapter, so bear with me. The proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim will be trodden underfoot, and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley, will be like a first ripe fig before the summer. When someone sees it, he swallows it as soon as it is in his hand, and that day... The Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people. And a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment. And strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. Now the reason why um, Isaiah is saying that you're like a fading flower is Samaria was known to be the flower of Israel. It was one of these cities that is um, on a hill with a lot of hills around it. And this is like a, like a crown. And it even speaks about Ephraim or then Samaria, the capital city, as being the crown, the flower. And now God is saying that you are busy fading away. You are busy losing vision On the things that I want you to focus on. Now listen to this. It says in verse 7. Or before I say that. Maybe I should just say 
guys, God is at this stage using the Assyrians as the tool against the northern tribes. And he says to them, listen, I'm going to bring destruction and discipline through the nation of Assyria. Now, Assyria was a great nation at the time, but it was also a very fearful nation. It was a very militant nation. Um, this nation, we, we know of one of the sieges against Jerusalem where they surrounded the city, and I think you would remember how they surrounded the city, and they did not um, conquer the city um, at that time. But then they would cut off all the resources to come to the city, and then people within the city will literally die of hunger and of not having resources. Okay, So that was the kind of way in which they would come against a city. But then what they would do through intimidation and psychological um, warfare, they would skin people, and they were excellent in skinning people. Now, I don't know how you skin a person. Uh, it might, must take a lot of time. I, I'm still trying to figure out how you do it. Is it with a sharp knife? It's a, is it the person? I don't know how you do it. But they were perfect in skinning people and it even says that one of the um, warfare weapons was to take out the eyeballs of people and hang them in front of the city so that people will be fearful and the rumors will spread about this Assyrian army that if they come, it's better for you as a nation to kill yourselves and to commit suicide than to have to rule over you. Because if they take over the city... That very bad things are going to happen to you. Now within this, this was the kind of intimidation that a nation like this would come against Israel to. And if this prophet comes and he says, listen, the Assyrian nation is going to take over and they are going to be the discipline against you as a nation, it's not a nice word. There's a lot of fear being installed upon this um, nation. There's a lot of you know, questions about, okay, is this prophet really, you know, truthful? And I want to say to you today, I don't know if you've seen it, but um, I was thinking over the weekend about it. But um, there's a lot of warfare happening in the Middle East at this stage. <laughs> and it's strange that we are not worried about it. Why not? In the Middle East at this stage. One of the things that uh, we always um, <laughs> that we always use as a defending mechanism, eh? Guys, we are not fearing because we trust in what? In armies busy defending us. War mechanisms, strategies, busy defending this nation. And we are so proud of it that we are telling ourselves that it cannot happen on the soil of this little island. And the reason why I'm mentioning that to you is this is exactly where Israel was at at this stage. Their fear, you know, and, um, and not fear, their security, 
lied within their structures. This was a very fruitful part of the country. It even says in the word here, it says, um, Ephraim and the flading flower of its glorious beauty which is on the head of the rich valley. This was on a valley and that's why they probably drunk so much. (laughs) This was a prosperous part of the country. And I can tell you, it's just strange how history repeats itself that we find ourselves again at a place where we are so secured within the stuff that we have and the securities within the governments that are protecting us that we forget that it's only the Lord our God that can bring us back to a place of vulnerability. And the sadness of it is God... (coughs) is at this stage using the Assyrian nation, which was the most fearful nation at that stage, together with Egypt, that was fighting on this planet. And he's using this nation to teach them a few lessons. And so, one of the other things that this nation, the Assyrian nation, would do, is they would take their opposition captive and then they would place them at places of vulnerability. They would take them captive and literally take them thousands of of miles away from their destination, put them somewhere where they were insecure and then they had to to, um, go back to the Assyrian government to um, actually give them protection. Now this was exactly what happened to Israel and the northern tribes. And that's why we know it as the lost tribes. The ten lost tribes of of Israel. Because shortly after they were being taken captive. And they were being taken all away and scattered all away the Assyrian Empire. Which was great at this stage. Now Isaiah chapter 28 verse 7. Let's quickly um, get back to the word. Verse 7. These also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. I want to just stop there and say, listen, it's not just the leaders of the country. It's the priest and the prophets. It's those who are supposed to see spiritual things and know what's happening to the nation and know how important it is when the prophet is speaking and God is busy speaking to his people, you must listen. But these people that should have discernment is also in a place where they are drunken and they cannot fulfill their duties as the prophets of, of God's people. And I want to say to you guys, um, within this nation and within the nations of the earth, I really want to trust that the church will be ready to actually fulfill its function. That it will not stay silent at a time when we should be the prophets and the people bringing the truth to the nation. Listen to this. It says, They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. For all tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. Okay, this is strong words. And I just want to say to you, you know, I remember um, me and Milani, then Stellenbosch, we took one of our kids, Anamar, to a, a party, a children's party. And um, it's one of those parents that just, you know, don't worry a, a lot. You know, children must have fun and just enjoy themselves. Um, we beforehand, you know, uh, knew that, but we took the risk in sending her to this party because the whole class went. When we um, got there, I went there, I don't know even if you went there later on in the afternoon, um, to go and pick her up. It was total chaos in that house. The children were jumping on, you know, the <laughs> on the beds, and um, there's even graffiti on some of the walls. Um, some are running outside, all around the pool. Um, it's total chaos. There's food all around. You know, it's like a food fight. All the food is lying on the floor and on the cupboards. And I'm still, I'm just having this moment where I'm thinking, is there not an adult in this place? Because I feel very uncomfortable right now. Not just for my own kids' sake, but for the chaos that's prevailing in this house. And I'm just thinking, 
how can they live with this? <laughs> and even within this, we afterwards spoke to our daughter and she said she felt so uncomfortable at this party. Uneasy. She just felt something is wrong. Even though she was very small at that stage, she could tell us, listen, dad, mom, this is not a party that I would go to again if I'm invited. She was eight at that stage. But this is the kind of chaos that was prevailing in Israel at this stage. And the question is, why is there not an adult that's supervising this chaos? Why is there not a person that is serious enough about God and about this nation that has the same witness that Anamart in its belly and asking some questions? We are the northern tribes. We are serving golden calves. We are serving other gods. And we are supposed to be God's chosen people. Is there anyone sober in this place? Or are we going to deal with the vomit on the tables all the time? Is this the kind of space that we are going to create for ourselves? And this is the kind of question that Isaiah is asking them. Because he says... That they are out of the way. They lost vision. They, they're losing sight of what God is busy doing. Verse 9. To whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from milk. Those taken from the breast. For it is precept upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Line upon line. Here a little. There a little. Now this was... Uh, idiom actually used within the Brit- um, British, <laughs> the Jewish culture, um, to say, you are teaching to children, precept upon precept, little by little. So, what's happening here in Israel is that the leaders are actually confronting Isaiah and saying, listen, do you think we are children? Do you think that, you know, your message you know, must intimidate us? Do you think that this word that you are bringing to us must actually, uh, you know, do anything to us? And the kind of arrogance that these people are talking to um, the prophet with shows where they are at at this stage. And I want to just throw out a challenge here in the midst of the nation that we are in. And I want to say... If the climate starts to be where people say, who are you to talk to me and to share with me these kind of truths? Do you think you're the only one that knows? (laughs) It's strange how sometimes we get so intimidated by culture that we forget that we have something to offer to this nation. You know, you don't need to believe in Jesus to fall short of, um, you know, the, the, the implications of being disobedient. The fact is, if you don't believe in gravity, the problem is gravity is going to still work against you when you jump out of this window. Because that law still prevails. And I want to say to you, we know the truth, we know God's principles, precept upon precept, little by little, and yet we are not willing to share it to those who so desperately need it because we're so confronted and intimidated many times by what the world and the Assyrian army wants to bring against us that we forget that we've got the mighty works and promises of God in our lives. Now this is an important message from from the the prophet as well, because he's actually saying to them, listen, come back to studying the word. Come back to actually to the basic principles of God in your lives. Because if not, there's a devastation that's going to follow because of that, that not even God can help. Because you have decided, you have chosen this way of life. Now listen to um, verse 11. It says, For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people. So, the Assyrians having a foreign tongue, having 
um, a different culture would rule over them. To whom he has said, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose, yet they would not hear. And the word of the Lord will be to them precept upon precept, precept upon precept. And again, he's reminding them, you know, if you listen but you still don't hear, it will be like a little message to a child that is not received and not made your own. Listen to this precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, year little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. And I want to say to you this morning, I've got the fear of God in my life at this stage of my life like never before because I know that I need God desperately. And I would rather fall on the rock than the rock fall on me. If I read this scripture, I can tell you, and if I see what's happening to, to, um, to Israel at that stage, then I can tell you, have they only come to a place of repentance, God would have heard their voices. If they only at this stage could come to a place of not being arrogant and saying, God, please help us, we are at the wrong place. I want to remind you that Nineveh was at the same place. And yet they decided to bow their knee and to repent. People with strange tongues and lips. And God would use the Assyrians. This is the same um, scripture that was referenced by um, Paul in in 1 Corinthians 14 when he speaks of uh, strange tongues. That was used in, um, in the time of the ex-church. The strange tongues that um, was actually bringing the gospel at the time. To, for the unbeliever. A time when God was speaking to the, the nation of Israel in their capital in Jerusalem. To say, you have abandoned my son. But you know what? I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to speak through foreign tongues, so that the remnant will survive. Because the beautiful picture within this is that there was still a remnant that turned themselves to God. Listen to um, to verse uh, chapter um, Acts 8, verse 29 to 31. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now this was um, Philip that um, shared the word of God then. um, Listen to Ephesians 4 verse 14 to 16. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I love what I'm seeing this morning. But I, I want to just mention to you, it says here, so that we may no longer be children. I want to take you to um, another piece of scripture in uh, 1 Corinthians 14. Just quickly, if you have your Bibles here, I don't have it um, on the slides, but I was just reminded of it. 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 20 to 21. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Oh, sorry, I've got the wrong one. (laughs) 14, verse 20. says, brethren, do not be children in understanding. Listen to this. 
Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes, but in understanding, be mature. And the strange thing is that at this stage, not even the prophets or priests could hear God's word. Those who were supposed to be mature was not. Um, And they didn't have understanding. They were drunk with wine. And Paul is saying here that we must come to a place of being mature in an understanding of the word. And I want to challenge you this morning. Even though Paul says, listen, you must be like babes when it gets to malice and doing wrong. You make sure that you grow yourselves within an understanding of what the word of God is. My challenge at this stage is that um, I see a church unequipped for what God is busy allowing to happen all over this world. Because we are not reading the word of God enough. Because we are not equipped and we don't receive the kind of revelation that is necessary for us to live in the belief and the understanding of the implication of scripture. A place where God is saying that Even in the midst of the chaos, there's not my people standing up and doing whatever I'm asking them to do. Let's go back to um, to verse 14. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. There is a place where God is saying, listen, you have made a choice to rather follow death, Satan himself, um, and the deathful destruction that it brings, rather than to follow me and my life-giving power. Verse 16, therefore thus, thus is the Lord. God, behold, I'm the one who has laid as foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line, again, the plumb line, and righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and waters will overwhelm the shelter. In the midst of this woe chapter, it says, there's a cornerstone. There's somebody that you can truly build yourself upon. Because it's a sure stone, it's a sure foundation, it's a foundation that can lead to life in abundance. And I want to just ask you this morning, when it gets to serving God, do we believe in the government to save us? Do we believe in our credit cards to save our month in? Do we believe in our work situation to be a security to us? Or are we putting our trust in the true source in the true and, 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 and secure foundation of Jesus Christ. My challenge this morning with myself is to say to God, God, I'm not always putting my trust in you. I many times take my securities out of my circumstances, out of my life, out of my family even, and the security that my family brings to me, out of my paycheck at the end of the month, out of even my extended family and friendship structure rather than to come to you. God, I need you desperately to actually come back into my life so that you can actually become the firm foundation and the security that I built my life upon. Verse 18, Then your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with um, which you all will not stand. When the overwhelming scourges passes through, you will be beaten down by it. 
as often as it passes through, it will take you for morning by morning, it will pass through by day and by night, and it will be sheer terror to understand the message. For the bed is too short to stretch oneself on, and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. For the Lord will rise up as a Mount Perizim, as in the valley of Gibeon. He will be roused to this deed. Strange is this deed. And to the work his work. Alien is his work. Now therefore do not scoff, lest your bonds be made strong. For I have heard a decree of destruction from the Lord God of hosts against the whole land. Verse 23. Give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing, and listen to this now, Isaiah is coming back to the farmer. He's coming back to the principles of the farmer. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled his surface, does he not scatter dull, sow Come in and put it wheat in rows and barley in its proper place, and Emma as the border, for he is rightly instructed. His God teaches him that he is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over Cummin, but dull is beaten out of with a stick and Cummin with a rod. Does one crush again for bread? No, he does not thresh it forever. When he drives his cartwheel over it, with his horses, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Now this is a little bit of a prophetic um, statement this morning. And um, Isaiah is bringing them back to the principles of the farmer and he's saying to them, listen, can we just get back to basic principles that works for a farmer it's very easy he understands that you don't always sow because you don't have money to always sow there's a place that you must reap as well because sometimes reaping is necessary in order to sow again are you with me he's saying but but it's so sure it's so sure it's so true that these principles work and even the farmer understands that in committing himself to it, even though it's precept upon precept, little by little, it still stays the truth that brings fruit. My word to you this morning is some of you might have lost hope in sowing and you're asking, when do I reap? And maybe reaping is not even close. But at this stage, it's for you difficult to, uh, to endure. But God is saying, come back to the principle because I will bring you back to the fruit. Don't fall for the temptations of the wealth of the city. And the drunkenness that it brings you because it will divide your attention and will make you to stagger and lose hope in what I have in store for you as a nation. Israel, you have lost track because you have taken law into your own hands. You have decided that there is a better way than my way. And because of it, you are busy reaping of the consequences of what you have sown. I want to just remind you that this happens over hundreds of years, God being very patient with the northern tribes of Israel. I already mentioned to you, it started in the 900s before Christ, and we are now in the 722 before Christ, and yet, this is the place where God draws the line in the sand, and He's saying, listen, it cannot go on like this forever and ever. I'm drawing a line in the sand because I want you to actually come back to your roots. Because if not, you're going to self-destruct. There's a button of self-destruction. I saw this week this one um, picture of a red button on uh, Donald Trump's um, desk. And there's unfortunately um, a cat close to that button that's going to... Uh, 
to do the final countdown, okay? Um, that's going to jump on the red button. And I want to say to you, for we as Christians, we often forget that leaving ourselves to our own devices will self-destruct. And it's just strange how we would go back to the cycle of destruction where the Assyrian army do come through the hills of Samaria. And they do come into Samaria and they do come and take captive the nation. And even through all of this, the southern tribes at a later stage goes through the same. They did not read the warning signs. They did not learn even about what happened to their, to their neighbors. I want to say to you, we as humans cannot rely on our own strength. And nothing is different in this nation or the nations that we represent. And I can tell you, there's many nations even represented here today. Dorothy, thanks for sharing just your experience beyond the borders of this nation. You know, it's strange how we came to a place worldwide where we would miss the point. That God has a very definite plan for the Middle East. <laughs> I so wish that we, uh, you know, as a nation, even as a British nation, would um, come to a place of understanding in knowing that if you get in the way of where God is heading, guess what? It's inevitable that you are going to be on the receiving end of His wrath. And I'm not a prophet this morning. I'm not saying, you know... God is going to come against Britain or against anyone here. But what I do tell you is, guys, get back to Scripture. Get back to the Word of God and to the principles. And Isaiah is saying it's simple. Precept upon precept. Back to the, 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 the things that you know is the truth of God. And it's strange, even in church life, how I see churches become very fancy and they do this amazing program, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not coming against the Western Church here, but I'm, I'm telling you, it, it really, at this stage, it's grieving me to see that we have come to a place where we must have all the bells and the whistles, and we are missing God altogether. We are fooling around and arrogant, even in our ways, and how we think church should look like. And all that God is asking is all of the bells and whistles bringing us back to an understanding of precept upon precept. Back to the place where the truth prevails. Where the fear of God is in your life. Where your life is not dictated. And I want to say it this morning to all of us as, as congregants. Where our lives are not dictated because of what is easy and nice. And what works for us. But because we are doing it. Because God said. And it's strange how we can reason in our own heads around these things. And try to find comfort even in the times that we are living. In I hear too many Christians these days making decisions based on reasoning. And based upon resources and you know the providing of... Um, of, 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 of our own systems. All that I'm saying this morning, even as hard as this word is to me and to all of you, we must come back to a basic understanding of a relationship with Christ that leads us to understand the foundation, that leads us to understand the plumb line, the chief cornerstone being the one that directs us. Can we quickly stand? My question is this morning, through this word, Isaiah 28, do we follow the counsel of God or do we follow the counsel of men? Can we draw a line in the sand here this morning and just say that for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? Can we just draw a line in the sand here this morning and say to ourselves that we will stick to that? And even if necessary, come back to that place? Even if necessary, 
say to ourselves, it's time to ask God what He is saying and not what we think is the best way to do, to, to do for our families. And, and yes, we are a, a collective family of believers, but I can um, bring it back to your own little family. Are you following within your family structure God or are you following your own means? Are you obedient to what God is saying? And I know I'm challenging you very hard this morning. But I'm as hard on myself as I'm on you. Or are you busy following the comfort of what the world has to offer? I'm certainly at a place where I'm challenging myself to the core and saying, God, (laughs) I don't want you to bring the Assyrian army against me. In order for me to listen. I actually want to just come back to your heartbeat. I want to be at the place where I live according to your principles. And the way that you want to conduct life within my family and and in, in my life. So I will do things according to your way. God, people is not my provision. And the favor of men is not my compass. But to be true to you. And to your command in my life. Let's bow our heads. Father. Even though this is such a hard word this morning. Father we, um, we come back to the core. Of the chief cornerstone. And Father we chose this year to be obedient. And following the plumb line. And yet Father you are bringing us back to. To a place where we are challenged to the core. On where our securities lies. And as so many words went out this morning. Father God do we carry the burdens. Because we don't know the one that carries the burdens. Because this morning we want to come back to the chief cornerstone. Thank you that we know that when we are aligned. We experience your favor, your blessing. But Father, most of all, contentment to know that we are following the King of Kings. And this morning, Father, we uh, understand this world chapter to be relevant to us. That many times we have, Father, just this um, attitude of, well, I know the and upstairs. So I'm alright. And I can live my life. Just easy. Because he knows. And he understands me. And he. You know he's gracious to me. But God this morning. We want to choose to embrace you. As the fear in our life. We choose. To Father God put ourselves under your embrace this morning willingly Father we choose this morning to say that even though Father God we know that you can be a hailstorm you don't want to be that you want to be the gracious king that rules over us but sometimes we must go through the hail and the storm and the opposition in order to come back to you. And Father, this morning we choose to align ourselves to your word, to your principles, and to choose to be under your fear. Because we want to please you. Now God, I pray this morning that none of us will, Father, think that we are all right. But Father, rather that we choose to fall on the rock in brokenness and contritement in such a place, Father God, that we are not proudful and think that we've got it all together. We choose to come back to the precept upon precept, little by little. And Father, even if it means that we must willingly, Father God, subject ourselves through a place of of disciplined Bible reading 
in order to come to where Philip was, when he revealed, Father God, the truth to the receiver. Father God, this morning we choose to come back to your word and to start to believe it with our hearts and to apply it to our lives so that we can be changed and transformed. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you. Thank you for the privilege of not being on the receiving end without knowledge. But you are giving us knowledge and understanding for the times that we are living in. Oh God, this morning, we ask that you will come and convict us of the things that are not in place with you. We ask that you will, Father God, bring us back to a place of vulnerability before you. May we choose to humble ourselves. In Jesus' name. As we stay in an attitude of worship, I know this is a challenge to the core and it's um, for some of you even hard this morning. But you know, to... um, To be at a place of contritement is a choice. To be at a place where you choose to actually willingly um, live in the fear of God is a choice. It's a place where you must surrender yourself to. And um, I want to trust this morning that we would come to that place. That we would bow our knee and say, God, you be the center in our lives again. You be the cornerstone again. We're going to uh, play some worship um, song now. And if any of you need some prayer, I want to ask you not to leave the room, but to actually come and let us pray with you. Let us come back to an understanding of precept upon precept. Let's worship God.